Well, I am excited to share um, what uh, God has put in my heart with you this week. I am uh, um, I'm trying not to reveal too much, but reveal just enough uh, that you don't scroll past me on Facebook right now um, for the rest of our church who's watching online. Um, we, I, I want to talk to you tonight um, in this... Even as I'm saying it now, I'm like, this is kind of a funny way of saying this, but I want to talk to you tonight about the church of tomorrow, the church of tomorrow. Um, I, uh, you know, I kind of talked to you guys last week about as a church that we would, um, you know, be talking about our priorities and where we're going to focus our energies and our attentions. And it's really something that has stirred up um, stirred me up quite a bit. Um, I mean, everyone else that I've talked to is like, ah, no, I'm pretty much bored with the topic. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but I, I want to talk to you about this because there is this, there is this common theme, this common thing that I've continued to hear from a lot of different pastors. Um, and even, even, even church folk, as I'm going to say church folk today. I don't know why I feel like folk is going to be my word today. Um, so church folk is going to, um, I got to be careful the way I say that, but church folk is what I'm going to be talking about, okay? Um, I've heard so many people say this regarding the church. I can't wait for things to just get back to normal. Um, and... There's, there's something that's really interesting that's happening right now. And there's a reality that we need to face is that we need to ask ourselves, was normal good? Was normal good? Because we, we can, we can very easily fall into the trap of longing for what once was. Now, I've, I can tell you this from experience. I have been a part of churches that every conversation that you ever have in the church is about what we used to do, right? <laughs> right. Well, I'll tell you what we used to do um, is we used to sing out of this, and we used to, you know, it's like you can hear that, okay? And I think that the church of today is actually becoming the church that they never really wanted to be, right? So if you talk about, if you talk about the most recent things in church, uh, a lot of what the church has done has shunned what the church used to do. I mean, let's just be honest. That's what, that's what the new church usually feels good about by shunning what the old church did. Um, but now the new church is now um, longing for what they used to do, which they're doing the exact same thing as the old church used to do when they used to say that I wanted the old thing. And now that's what they're doing. And I think we're in this such a unique time that we're kidding ourselves if we go in with the mentality of, I just can't wait till things get back to normal. And I think we're kidding ourselves even more if we look back at what was normal and we ask ourselves, was normal effective for the kingdom? Numbers, numbers suggest this, and I, I was trying to do, and you can't get really good numbers on this, but I, I'm just going to tell you what I found, which seemed to be the consensus. Numbers are suggesting that as many as 20% of churches could close in the next 18 months. 20%. That's a lot of percentages. <laughs> you're, 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 the church is being faced with this huge question. In the, in the environment that is around us, 
will we change or are we going to shove our heads into the sand and just keep waiting for people to walk through the door? I mean, that's, that's really the question. Is that as a church, are we actually going to do what the word of God says? Are we going to be willing to be truly creative to reach the people that you know in your head right now who, knew, who need Jesus, but they're not walking through those doors, right? Um, Pew, there's a, there's a, a group called Pew Research, and they, they stated that the country is right now in a time of specific religious change. And this is my question that I keep asking when I read these things. What is the church really doing? You know, I, I thought, I wrote this question down, and um, I'm not really asking for an answer to this, but I wrote this down, and I was just pondering this question for quite a while. Um, and the question is this. What is the most significant change you've seen happen within the American church in your lifetime outside of worship and style? What is the most significant change that has happened to the American church? And when I ask myself that question, I don't come up with a big list of stuff to talk about. And what's crazy about that, and, and now listen, I'm not saying that God is changing, okay? But what I'm saying is this, is that when the world and the environment around us change, we have to, as a church, start to understand that we are to be in the world, not of the world, right? And we have to understand that it is time, and this is this isn't really the way I plan to say it. I'm going to say it now because I just read the word and it popped in my head. We need to get a little salty <laughs> in a good way. Matthew chapter 5. I want to read verses 13 through 16 with you. Because um, this, this passage, as I was reading it, um, really got me thinking about what has happened in the church. Verses 13 through 16 say this. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It's interesting because if you read a lot of things that they'll talk about, is they will talk about how um, people don't have an appetite for church anymore. And I thought about that statement of, of people, because as I was reading these things, I, I kept seeing this, and I literally, this is where it brought me to, well, has the salt lost its flavor? See, if people, if there's nothing that the people are hungering for, if there's nothing that they look at and they say, I need that, why would they? 
Why would they have that appetite? And what we have done is we have created a, you know, this clicky culture within, you know, church as a whole that may make us feel good. But at the end of the day, if people who are out in the earth don't get an appetite for the Holy Spirit that is in you, for the work that God is doing in you, then there is a huge disconnect. And it makes me go to this, if the salt has lost its taste. See, I, if you think about if you think about what has happened in the American church in most recent years, I believe many churches have actually become more distant, more closed off, more exclusive. You know, covering their windows even. Don't look in. We don't want the light coming in. You know, whatever it is, because the church the church that once shunned people who didn't wear a suit, right? Some of you guys will remember that. That if you came to church. And you weren't, you know, you weren't looking good. <laughs> that you would be shunned for what you were wearing. That was awful, right? It was horrible. Now the problem is this. If you come to church and you're wearing a suit, you know what happens? You get shunned. Like, hold on a minute. So the new church is like, oh, I can't believe people used to wear suits and that was so rude and disrespectful. And then when someone walks into the church with a suit, they're like, did you see that guy in a suit? What does he think? Who does he think we are? You know? Is that any different? No, it's not any different. It's the same story. And so the new age church is like, we're so hip and cool. We wear flannel. Me and Billy, we got it going on. I had, my, I had my flannel, uh, today I, I went to my breakfast over at Plain Folk and I had my, my flannel mask, my flannel hoodie, and then my flannel coat on. And I walked in and a buddy of mine was in there and he was like, plaid on plaid on plaid. And I was like, that's right, <laughs> that's right. Um, but see, we, we aren't, <laughs> most of the new church isn't any different than the old church. We're still looking at everyone's outward appearance. We're still making our own decisions, our own determinations based off of how they look. It's no different than the guy in the suit who looked at the guy in the rags and said, what is this guy doing in here? Then when the guy in the cool flannel looks at the guy who's walking in a suit and saying, what is that guy doing in here? It's no different. And so the new church wants to get all bent out of shape about the old church and the old church and the new church. And it's all just, it's all just a mess. We've, we have literally shun the church of yesterday in the process we're becoming the church of yesterday and we need to become the church of tomorrow because things are happening in the earth and we have an obligation to expand the kingdom of god and the question for us becomes are we doing that is there a saltiness to this is there is there a light or is there just a complacency that everything's okay you know I can just kind of scooch my way in. You know, the word tells us to let our light shine before others. And I, I love what it says here. It says, um, so that they may see your good works. Listen, this is what they're doing. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. To see your good works, it's going to cause them to give glory to the Father in heaven. Not causing you 
to give glory. And see, the question becomes, is the church doing the work? Are we in the pit, right? Or are we standing way over here and saying, well, you know, if y'all would just climb out of that pit, your life would be all right. And I think if we look at what the church has done for so long, it's, hey, come, come here. Get out of your pit. Come to us. We'll do this, right? What? Your, your, your good works, I'm going to ask you to go to Philippians 2, but your good works are supposed to pull out worship from those around you. Think about this. Are the behaviors that you are exhibiting outside of these four walls causing the people around you to worship God? Of course. <laughs> Philippians 2, I wanna, I'm going to read a little bit here. This is uh, uh, verses 3 through 16. It says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. I'm going to read that. But in humility, we're to serve in humility, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That's a hard thing to do. I mean, that's, that's a weighty word right there in it, that we need to be counting others more significant than yourselves. Well, Tom, it was just, you know, I would have helped, but I was really hungry, <laughs> you know, or I really needed X or Y, or I didn't have this, or I didn't have time, or I didn't have this. We need to count others more significant than yourselves. It says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a what? A servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming what? Obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent. I love this right here. It says, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. That's what we're supposed to be, children of God without blemish in the midst. Look at that. In the midst, not away from, in the midst of a crooked and twisted 
generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. We need to become a people who truly count others more significant than ourselves, that aren't consumed solely with our wants and desires, but of those around us. More than the things that we desire. See, the church of today has been consumed primarily by what church folk want, right? Filling the programs, filling the what, fill in the blank wherever you want. Getting, getting the right lights, getting the right music. But see, Jesus, what he did and the model that he showed us was to humble ourselves in obedience, Verse 12, I I love what it says there. It says, as you have always obeyed, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Think about how the church, how how the church um, is being seen by the world, okay? Think about how the church can look wildly different when the church is inside the building than when the church is outside the building. See, someone, um, someone said it to me like this, like we have, to, we have to get to the point that we are no longer saying, come to us, right? And, and if you think about church, if you think about how the church was founded, how the church was created, if you look at the DNA of what Christ intended for the church, it's a little bit different than what we actually do. And, you know, the question becomes, why do we do that? You know, why, why have we, as the American church, why have we allowed ourselves to fall into this trap where, in reality, we're not doing what Christ told us to do? We're not doing the things of Christ. And it becomes this. It's much more comfortable. <laughs> like, think about this. Um, we like to be around people that are like-minded, right? Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I love being around my wife when she's being like-minded, you know? Billy, I was counting on a big amen from you right there. That's right. There we go. Feeling it, getting on a roll. <laughs> See, we, we, we have done so much to pacify Christians. We have done so much to make church folk feel good. Like, you know how much work a lot of churches have put into transitioning from hymnals to not hymnals? Like, I mean, there are, and I'm not kidding, there are literally staff meetings about this. (laughs) Like, church staff are having legitimate conversations. I can remember being in a church uh, once, and I was in a staff meeting, and um, they got talking about worship songs. And I was like, man, we ought to do some of this stuff. And they looked at me like this, and they're like, you do know we're like five minutes from Goshen, right? Like, we can't do that kind of music. Um, and, th- this, and it became a big conversation about what kind of music we, we should, should or could do as a church. And I think back on that now, and I was a part of that discussion, but if, if I think back on that now, I'm thinking, man, how much time did we talk about caring, I mean, being concerned about preference, right? 
And how many people were in our community who were hurt, dying, lonely, desperate? And we're like, man, I don't know if we could do that song. <laughs> I think if we did that song, they'd freak out on us. You know, like, what? And so what's so funny about it is now, again, it's the, you know, the church of today is literally has been so busy bashing the church of yesterday, but now we've, we're becoming the church of yesterday every day. You know that, right? Like, so it's like the next day is tomorrow and this becomes yesterday. So, so as I think about that, I think about, man, I think back to that first question that I asked you, what? is the most significant change that you've seen in your life that has happened to the American church. And I got next to nothing. I got, I got things like, well, less people come, you know. Well, we've got, we've got like um, some mega churches now, and I don't think we had a lot of those before, so we've gotten more mega churches, which is really cool because those people are winning people to Jesus. And you know what? Some of those are winning people to Jesus, but some of them are just consuming other sheep from smaller churches. That's just, I mean, if you look at the numbers, I, I was looking through um, some data from, um, um, I'm going to forget the name of them, but anyways, I was looking for some data about church growth. And for the last, I can't remember how many years it said, but multiple years, okay, the growth of any specific church was mainly from church transfers. I know of a church that was ministering to people and big church moved in and half their people went there because there was convenient programs for them that they didn't have to do anything. And the question becomes, we, you know, we celebrate that. We put those people on a pedestal. I mean, especially pastors. I'll tell you, pastors do that a lot. Like, I mean, they'll stare and they'll be like, oh my gosh, geez, you know, they're running 5,000 now, 5,000. And, you know, that, that, those are the conversations that they really have. They talk about that. And the question becomes for us, are we winning people to Jesus? Because I think the number was over 70% of churches have said that in the last 12 months, they haven't seen 10 people come to know Christ as a part of their ministry. So what are we doing, right? What are we actually doing? If we aren't winning people to Jesus, what are we doing? Now we can say things like, well, we're equipping the body of Christ, and that's good, that feels good. <laughs> but the mission of the church is to win people to Jesus. And everything that I see, it uses words like in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Not necessarily in the midst of a bunch of other Christians. This one guy is going to walk through the door and, you know, it's like I, I laugh. I, I used to tell you guys about this and I've probably said it a couple times, but when Beth and I uh, first took over youth ministry, there was one student, like just one student. That was all there was. And there were six or eight youth leaders. And we went to the first youth service. So I think, I think there were six youth leaders, and they had just brought Beth and I on to be the youth pastors. And they're like, all right, we got service on Wednesday or whatever it was. And Beth and I come, and there's one student. And it's a room bigger than this room. 
I mean, it's much bigger than this room. And there was 40, 50 chairs put out. I love the level of expectation that was there, right? I love that. I love that. One student. And then I saw, we, we sat there and we watched, you know, these six or eight youth leaders. I mean, imagine being that one person, <laughs> you know, like, oh, no. <laughs> they found me. <laughs> it's like, I'm just going to go to the restroom. No, you ain't. <laughs> we all going to get you saved tonight, you know. And, uh, but can I tell you, that is how a lot of people feel if they were to just walk through the church doors. And so what we've done is we have, honestly, we've lied to ourselves. We say that we are the church of tomorrow because you know what we've done now? We brought in some really cool lights and some really cool music that now they'll want to walk through the door. <laughs> they ain't walking through the door. We have a professionally trained musician No, we don't. Um, but but what, I'm, what I'm getting at is that we have done so much to become something that I don't think Jesus ever asked us to be. We've belittled what was, but if we were really honest with ourselves, outside of worship styles, the American church has done probably very little to actually respond to a changing world. And I think if this last year has taught us or showed us anything, it is that time is short, time is valuable, we have a job to do, and we can't just sit around waiting for people to walk through. The, why did we sing that song, Waiting Here For You? <laughs> like, it just hit me. Waiting here for you. Please come. <laughs> it's not right. It's not right. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. This is where it gets a little uncomfortable for y'all, okay? Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. It says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. I'm going to try to read it from here. There we go. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. I want you to hear this and I want you to understand this and I know I have said it many, many times, but you are so incredibly important to the work of God. Every single person, my grandfather, okay, I loved him dearly. I was laughing um, when we were practicing. Just so you know, if you guys ever want to show up early and watch Bethany and I um, during worship practice, you probably shouldn't. Uh, um, it is. There's a lot of weird stuff that happens, okay? Um, Chris and Kristen are like, yep, mm-hmm, yep. Um, they've got the cops on speed dial back there. Like, these people are getting weird. Um, 
Anyways, but I, I was I was telling a story about my grandpa because my grandpa he, he loved to play guitar with us, um, and it was always funny because um, grandpa at times would say to me, "Pick it, Tommy." I can't like pick it, pick it like he thought that I could, and I would just be like. You know, it was, it was, but he thought it was great. You know, he thought it was great. Um, but then when he would, he'd be like, all right, I got this one. He couldn't push the strings down all the way anymore. So it just sounded like ding, 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 ding. It was the best thing ever. But I remember in his life, he had lived a long life. And even in his final days, I can remember him saying to me, well, God's still got something for me because I'm here. He never reached a point where he was like, time for me from, to retire from being a Christian, you know? <laughs> I've done my due work, and now it's time for them youngins to do it. He never stopped. I, I like to talk about him because he used to say that he was a, a riverbank evangelist, and I've, I've, I think I've told you that before. Um, he had an oxygen tank that he had to keep with him everywhere. He would go fish down on the riverbank, and he would always outfish everybody, and the people around him would come up to him to say, what are you doing? Like, how are you catching those fish? And he would say, well, you got to let me tell you about Jesus, and then I'll tell you how I'm catching the fish. And that's what he did. And we, on the flip side, we have been convinced that it's okay to attend but not participate. Now, I'm not talking, listen, I'm not talking about no, no, Tom, I, I, I participate. I put my hand up in worship this week. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about truly participating as the body of Christ. And I'm not talking about, well, pastor, I put a $20 in the bill today. You know, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about participating and being an active part of the body of Christ. See, and the problem is, in a lot of these environments, you or someone has been convinced that it is enough to show up, it is enough to be preached at, it is enough to sing a song and feel like I did my church thing. I did my, this is me being a part of the body of Christ. But your hands need to get dirty. See, if I was a farmer, and I had someone who said, I'd like to help you with your farm, sir. I'd say, well, howdy doody, let's do this. And if I got out there and I started tilling and working in the soil, and he just stood there and said, good job on that soil, I'd punch him in the neck. <laughs> like, here you are, you've come to me, you said, I want to help you. You want to take, take part of the benefit of the crop right? They want to point to the crop and say, look what we did. Look at this. Look at this. But then at the end of the day, they're really not involved at all. And we have done this for too long within the body of Christ. We have allowed people to come in. We've allowed them to get comfortable. We've allowed them to participate through attendance, but they're not being active. I shared you, I share with you the story and I, I've shared this multiple times where Bethany had this vision, and I always do it wrong, and I'm going to do it wrong again, but it just came down to this. People don't know how to use their swords. They don't know how to do it. 
They're intimidated by this. They're afraid of it. They feel like they don't understand enough of it. So guess what? The only time they talk about it is in these circles. And let me tell you, Billy, you got to stop asking me if I want to accept Jesus every week. <laughs> I know he's trying. But see, we, we're not being active with this outside of these circles. We, we, have, we have allowed ourselves to be convinced that it is enough to come and be, right? The American church has created an environment that celebrates attendance more than effectiveness. That's not okay. It's not okay with us. And so it, it, it brings us to the church of tomorrow. The church of tomorrow. What does the church of tomorrow truly look like. And see, this is a hard thing to do. I, I talked about this a little bit last week. It is a hard thing to do because everyone within a church environment, within a church leadership structure, they're going to look at those around them. And I am telling you, I'm warning you, <laughs> the church of tomorrow, I don't believe looks anything like the church of today. And I don't think that it looks anything like the church of yesterday. And some people are going to be like, amen, I like that. And some people are going to be like, what did you just say? <laughs> it's going to be a little bit of a combination, but we'll work through it. Because you have a purpose. And if you believe what the word of God says, your purpose is greater than warming a pew. Your purpose is greater than singing a song. You, every single one of you, have a purpose in the kingdom. And I think for far too long, the church has been okay with an immobile body where we have a select few who participate, who do things, but the rest of them sit. I, I think the, 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 the numbers that are usually shared is that um, 20% 20, 20 of the church does 80% of what happens in the church or something like that. I don't know. I'm just, I'm making up quotes now at this point. You guys are going with it, so I'm just going to keep. Um, they say 75% of all stats are made up on the spot. It's true. <laughs> look it up. Look it up. Um, but I'm saying, I'm saying this uh, because it is not okay for you to just come to church. And as a pastor, that is a, it, it's a bit of a dangerous thing to say to people because a lot of people are like, look, man, I'm just trying to find a church to go to. That's all. I just need to come in. I need, I need good worship. I need a sermon that really, you know, gets my juices flowing. And I need close proximity to restaurants. Like, those are the things that I need that are most important to me, you know? And, and to be honest, we've pacified that for a long time in the church. We have. And we've grown through church transfers and all of these things. But are we ministering to the hurting, to the dying, to the broken people? in our communities. 
That is where we have to live. It is time for us to get our hands dirty. It is time for us to be in the midst of a crooked generation. That, that is where we're supposed to be. Now, I'm not saying, you know, if you've got a struggle in a specific area that you should go hang out at that place and do those things. You know, I'm trying to win people to Jesus. You know, that's not what I'm talking about, okay? But I, I'm talking about you being mobile within the body. Every single one of us have gifts. And I'll say this, I've said it for a long time. Bethany and I, we have certain things that we are able to do and we have a lot of things that we are not able to do. And it is the body working together, right? In Ecclesiastes, two are better than one, right? Two are better than one. And so this is, this is a bit of a, um, a heads up because next week, um, next week um, for church, uh, we are going to, I'm going to be talking to you about what the church of tomorrow looks like for us, okay? Um, it will be challenging. It will be different but it will be significant. And that's what I want. I want us to have significance in the kingdom. And the church of tomorrow is gonna, um, it's gonna, like I said, it may excite some, it may worry others. But I, I'll tell you this, is that um, Bethany and I uh, have talked about this a lot, and we've had other people that we've confided in that we've talked with about this, and uh, I, I want to share this with you. We believe in our heart that this is what God created us for as a church and as a body, and I, I want to encourage you next week, um, you know, next week at six o'clock, we're going to be here at the church. Uh, we are not going to do the screen next week. I do want everyone to be, everyone who can, to be with us in person uh, because we're going to do a few things. We are going to talk about the church of tomorrow for us, what that looks like, how it's going to transform what we do and how we minister to the community. Um, but we are also going to take some time to go over um, the financial aspects of last year and where we're at as a church and budget for this next year. And there's a lot of things that we're going to uncover there. So we're not going to have worship. Um, it is going to be, it's going to be really a night of vision um, that, um, that we want to share with you. We want you to be there. Uh, we want you to be a part of it because we believe that this new journey is going to look very different, but we believe that it is completely led of the Holy Spirit. Um, and we need you to be a part of it. We need you to be a part of it. Every single one of you are going to have gifts that you can contribute to this, okay, to make an impact for the kingdom. Your life was designed to make an impact. Your life. Every single one of you. And so we're going to make sure that we tap into that and we do something really unique this next year.